Part 2 of Lion Loose by James H. Schmitz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The blue and white Fallagian House Diner, driven by Hiraga, was admitted without comment into the executive block. It floated on unchallenged through the big entry hall and into a corridor. Immediately behind the first turn of the corridor, the diner paused a few seconds. Its side door opened and closed. The diner moved on. Quillen, coatless and with the well-worn butt of a big Meum Devil's special protruding from the holster on his right hip, came briskly back along the corridor. Between fifteen and twenty men, their guns also conspicuously in evidence, were scattered about the entrance hall, expressions and attitudes indicating a curious mixture of boredom and uneasy tension. The eyes of about half of them swiveled around to Quillen when he came into the hall. Then, with one exception, they looked indifferently away again. The exception, leaning against the wall near the three open portals to the upper levels, continued to stare as Quillen came toward him, forehead creased in a deep scowl as if he were painfully ransacking his mind for something. Quillen stopped in front of him. "'Chum,' he asked, "'any idea where Mauvane is at the moment? They just gave me this message for him. Still scowling, the other scratched his chin and blinked. Uh, "'Dunno, for sure,' he said after a moment. "'He ought to be in the third-level conference room with the rest of them. Uh, "'Dunno, you ought to barge in there now, pal. "'The Commodore's really hot about something.' Quillen looked worried. "'Got a chance it, I guess. "'Message is pretty important,' they say. "'He turned, went through the center portal of the three, abruptly found himself walking along a wide, well-lit hall. Nobody in sight here or in the first intersecting passage he came to. When he reached the next passage, he heard voices on the right, turned toward them, went by a string of closed doors on both sides until forty feet on, the passage angled again and opened into a long, high-ceilinged room. The voices came through an open door on the right side of the room. Standing against the wall beside the door were two men whose heads turned sharply towards Quillen as he appeared in the passage. The short, chunky one scowled. The big man next to him, the top of whose head had been permanently seared clear of hair years before by a near miss from a blaster, dropped his jaw slowly. His eyes popped. "'My God!' he said. "'Mauvain in there, Baldy?' Quillen inquired, coming up. Mauvain, he, you, how? The chunky man took out his gun, waved it negligently at Quillen. Tell the ape to blow, Perk. He isn't wanted here. Ape? Quillen asked softly. His right hand moved, had the gun by the barrel, twisted, reversed the gun, jammed it back with some violence into the chunky man's stomach. Ape? He repeated. The chunky man went white. Bad news! Baldy Perk breathed. Take it easy. That's Orca. He's the Commodore's torpedo. How? Where's Mauvain? Mauvain? He, uh, uh... All right, he's not here. And Lancion can't have arrived yet. Is Coombs in there? Yeah, Baldy Perk said weakly. Coombs is in there, Quillen. Let's go in. Quillen withdrew the gun, slid it into a pocket, smiled down at Orca. Get it back from your boss, slob. Be seeing you. Orca's voice was a husky whisper. You will, friend. You will. The conference room was big and sparsely furnished. Four men sat at the long table at its center. 
Quillen knew two of them, Morris Coombs, second-in-command of the Belden Brotherhood's detachment here, and the Duke of Fluel, Mulvane's personal gun. Going by Haraga's descriptions, the big, florid-faced man with white hair and flowing white mustaches, who was doing the talking, was Valadin, the Commodore, while a fourth man, younger, wiry, with thinning black hair plastered back across his skull, would be Ryder, chief of the star's security force. "'What I object to primarily is that the attempt was made without obtaining my consent, and secretly,' Valadin was saying, with a toothy grin, but in a voice that shook with open fury. "'And now it's been made and bungled. You have a nerve asking for our help. The problem is yours, and you'd better take care of it fast. I can't spare Ryder if—' "'Coombs,' Baldy Perk broke in desperately from the door— "'Bad news, Quillen's here, and—' The heads of the four men at the table came around simultaneously. The eyes of two of them widened for an instant. Then Morris Coombs began laughing softly. "'Now everything's happened,' he said. "'Coombs,' the Commodore said testily. "'I prefer not to be interrupted. Now—' "'Can't be helped, Commodore,' Quillen said, moving forward, Perk shuffling along unhappily beside him. "'I've got news for Mulvane, and the news can't wait.' "'Mulvane?' the Commodore repeated, blue eyes bulging at Quinlan. "'Mulvane? Coombs, who is this man?' "'You're looking at bad news, Quillan,' Coombs said, a hijacking specialist with somewhat numerous sidelines. "'But the point right now is that he isn't a member of the Brotherhood.' "'What?' Valadin's big fist smashed down on the table— "'Now what kind of a game? How did he get in here?' "'Well,' Quillen said mildly, "'I oozed in through the north wall about a minute ago. I—' He checked, conscious of having created some kind of sensation. The four men at the table were staring up at him without moving. Baldy Perk appeared to be holding his breath. Then the Commodore coughed, cleared his throat, drummed his fingers on the table. He said reflectively, "'He could have news.' good or bad, at that, for all of us. He chewed on one of his mustache chips, grinned suddenly up at Quillen. Well, sit down, friend, let's talk. You can't talk to Mulvane, you see. Mulvane's um, had an accident. Passed away suddenly, half an hour ago. Sorry to hear it, Quillen said. That's the sort of thing that happens so often in the Brotherhood. He swung a chair around, sat down facing the table. "'You're looking well tonight, Fluel,' he observed. The Duke of Fluel, lean and dapper in silver jacket and tight-fitting silver trousers, gave him a wintry smile, said nothing. "'Now then, friend,' Valadin inquired confidentially, "'just what was your business with Mauvain?' "'Well, it will come to around twenty percent of the take,' Quillen informed him. "'We won't argue about a half-million CR, more or less, but around twenty per.' The face is thoughtful. After some seconds, the Commodore asked, "'And who's we?' "'A number of citizens,' Quillen said, "'who have been rather unhappy since discovering that you, too, are interested in Lady Pendrake and her pals. We'd gone to considerable expense and trouble to—well, her ladyship was scheduled to show up in Mesmiali, you know. And now she isn't going to show up there. All right, that's business. Twenty per?' 
No hard feelings. Otherwise, it won't do you a bit of good to blow up the star in the liner. There'll still be loose talk, maybe other complications, too. You know how it goes. You wouldn't be happy, and neither would Yako, right? The Commodore's massive head turned back to Coombs. How well do you know this man, Morris? Coombs grinned dryly. Well enough. Is he leveling? He'd be nuts to be here if he wasn't. And he isn't nuts. At least not that way. There might be a question about that, Flule observed. He looked at the Commodore. Why not ask him for a couple of the names that are in it with him? Hogready and Bolton, Quillen said. Bladen chewed the other mustache tip. I know Hogready. If he... I know both of them, Coombs said. Bolton works hijacking crews out of Orado. Quinlan operates there occasionally. Bobby Bolton's an old business associate, Quillen agreed. A reliable sort of a guy. Doesn't mind taking a few chances, either. Bladen's protruding blue eyes measured him for a moment. We can check on those two, you know. Check away, Quillen said. Bladen nodded. We will. He was silent for a second or two, then glanced over at Coombs. "'There have been no leaks on our side,' he remarked. "'And they must have known about this for weeks, of all the inept bungling—' "'Ah, oh, don't be too hard on the Brotherhood, Commodore,' Quillen said. "'Leaks happen. You ought to know.' "'What do you mean?' Valadin snapped. "'From what we heard, the Brotherhood's pulling you out of a hole here. You should feel rather kindly toward them.' The Commodore stared at him reflectively. Then he grinned. "'Could be I should,' he said. "'Did you come here alone?' "'Yes.' The Commodore nodded. "'If you're bluffing, God help you. If you're not, your group's in. Twenty per. No time for haggling. We can raise Jacko's price to cover it.' He stood up, and Ryder stood up with him. "'Morris,' the Commodore went on, "'tell him what's happened.' If he's half as hot as he sounds, he's the boy to put on that job. Let him get in on a little of the work for the twenty per cent. Ryder, come on, we— One moment, sir, Quillen interrupted. He took Orca's gun by the muzzle from his pocket, held it out to Valadin. One of your men lost this thing. The one outside the door, if you don't mind. He might pout if he doesn't get it back. The fifth level of the executive block appeared to be, as Saraga had said, quite small. The tiny entry hall, on which two walk-in portals opened, led directly into the large room where the two Pendrake rust cubicles had been placed. One of the cubicles now stood open. To right and left, a narrow passage stretched away from the room, ending apparently in smaller rooms. Baldy Perk was perspiring profusely. "'Now right here,' he said in a low voice, "'was where I was standing. Mulvane was over there on the right of the cubicle.' and Coombs was beside him. Ribeiro was a little behind me, hanging on to the pump, that Kinmartin, and the Duke, he nodded back at the wide door space to the hall, was standing back there. All right, the punk's opened the cubicle crack, looking like he's about to pass out while he's doing it. This bearded guy, Eltok, stands in front of the cubicle, holding the gadget he controls the thing with. Where's the gadget now? Quinlan asked. Morris Coombs got it. How does it work? Baldy shook his head. We can't figure it out. It's got all kinds of little knobs and dials on it. Push this one and it squeaks. Turn that one and it buzzes. 
like that. Quillen nodded. All right, what happened? Well, Mulvane tells the old guy to go ahead and do the demonstrating. The old guy sort of grins and fiddles with the gadget. The cubicle door pops open, and this thing comes pouring out. I never seen nothing like it. It's like a barn door with dirty fur on it. It swirls up and around, and it wraps its upper end clean around poor Mulvane. He never even screeches. Then everything pops at once. The old guy is laughing like crazy, and that half-smart Ribeiro drills him right through the head. I take one shot at the thing, low, so as not to hit Mulvane, and then we're all running. I'm halfway to the hall when Coombs tears past me like a rocket. The Duke and the others are already piling out through the portal. I get to the hall, and there's this terrific smack of sound in the room. I look back and... and... Baldy paused and gulped. And what? Quillen asked. There, behind the cubicles, I see poor Mulvane sticking halfway out of the wall. Baldy reported in a hushed whisper. Halfway out of the wall? From the waist up, he's in it. From the waist down, he's dangling into the room. I tell you, I never seen nothing like it. And this a lot, creature? That's gone. I figure the smack I heard was when it hit the wall flat, carrying Mulvane. It went on into it. Mulvane didn't. At least the last half of him didn't. Well, Quillen said after a pause, in a way, Mulvane got his demonstration. The lots can move through solid matter and carry other objects along with them, as advertised. If Yako can work out how it's done and build a gadget that does the same thing, they're getting the lots cheap. What happened then? I told Morris Coombs about Mulvane, and he sent me and a half-dozen other boys back up there with riot guns to see what we could do for him, which was nothing, of course, Aldi gulped again. We finally cut this end of him off with a beam and took it back down. The thing didn't show up while you were here? Baldy shuddered and said, No. And the technician, Eltok, was dead? Sure. Hole in his head you could shove your fist through. Somebody, Quillen observed, ought to drill Robero for that stupid trick. The Duke did, first thing after we get back to the fourth level. So there are lots on the loose, and all we really have at the moment are the cubicles and rest Martin Kinmartin. Where's he, by the way? He tried to take off when we got down to level four, and somebody cold-cocked him. The doc says he ought to be coming around again pretty soon. Quinlan grunted shoved the Meum Devil Special into its holster, said, Okay, you stay here where you can watch the room and those passages and the hall. If you feel the floor start moving under, scream. I'll take a look at the cubicle. Lady Pendrake's cubicle was about half as big again as a standard one. But aside from one detail, its outer settings, instruments, and operating devices appeared normal. The modification was a recess almost six feet long and a foot wide and deep in one side, which could be opened either to the room or to the interior of the rest cubicle, but not simultaneously to both. Quillen already knew its purpose. The supposed other cubicle was a camouflaged food locker, containing fifty-pound slabs of sea beef, each of which represented a meal for the lot. The recess made it possible to feed it without allowing it to be seen or possibly attempting to emerge. Kent Martin's nervousness, as reported by his wife, seemed understandable. Any rest warden might get disturbed over such a charge. Quillen asked over his shoulder, Anyone find out yet why the things can't get out of the closed rest cubicle? Yeah, 
Baldy Perks said. Ken Martin says it's the cubicle's defense fields. They could get through the material. They can't get through the field. Someone think to energize the executive block's battlefields? Quillen inquired. Yeah. Valadin took care of that before he came screaming up to the third level to argue with Coombs and Fluel. So it can't slip out of the block unless it shows itself down on the ground level when the entry lock's open. Yeah, Baldy muttered. But I don't know. Is that good? Quillen looked at him. Well, we would like it back. Why? There's fifty more coming in on the liner tonight. We don't have the fifty yet. If someone louses up the detail... Yah! Baldy said faintly. There was a crash of sound as his riot gun went off. Quillen spun around, hair bristling, gun out. What happened? I'll swear, Baldy said white-faced. I saw something moving along that passage. Quillen looked, saw nothing, slowly replaced the gun. Baldy, he said, if you think you see it again, just say so. That's an order. If it comes at us, we get out of this level fast, but we don't shoot before we have to. If we kill it, it's no good to us. Got that? Yeah, Baldy said. But I got an idea now, bad news. He looked at the other cubicle. Let's leave that meat box open. Why? If it's hungry, Baldy explained simply, I'd sooner it wrapped itself around a few chunks of sea beef and not around me. Quillen punched him encouragingly in the shoulder. Baldy, he said, in your own way, you have had an idea. But we won't leave the meat box open. When Ken Martin wakes up, I want him to show me how to bait this cubicle with a piece of sea beef so it'll snap shut if the lot goes inside. Meanwhile, it won't hurt if it gets a little hungry. That, said Baldy, isn't the way I feel about it. There must be around a hundred and fifty people in the executive block at present, Quillen said. Look at it that way. Even if the thing keeps stuffing away, your odds are pretty good, Baldy. Baldy shuddered. Aside from a dark bruise high on his forehead, Brock Kenmartin showed no direct effects of having been knocked out. However, his face was strained and his voice not entirely steady. It was obvious that the young rest warden had never been in a similarly unnerving situation before. But he was making a valiant effort not to appear frightened, and at the same time to indicate that he would cooperate to the best of his ability with his captors. He'd regained consciousness by the time Quillen and Perk returned to the fourth level, and Quillen suggested bringing him to Morris Coombs' private quarters for questioning. The Brotherhood chief agreed. He was primarily interested in finding out how the lot control device functioned. Ken Martin shook his head. He knew nothing about the instrument, he said, except that it was called a halot talker. It was very unfortunate that Eltok had been shot, because Eltok undoubtedly could have told them all they wanted to know about it. If what he had told Kinmartin was true, Eltok had been directly involved in the development of the device. Was he some Federation scientist? Coombs asked, fiddling absently with the mysterious cylindrical object. No, sir, the young man said. But, again, if what he told me was the truth, he was the man who actually discovered those lots. At least he was the first man to discover them who wasn't immediately killed by them. Coombs glanced thoughtfully at Quillen, then asked, And where was that? Kinmartin shook his head again. He didn't tell me, and I didn't really want to know. I was anxious to get our convoy to its destination, and then to be relieved of the assignment. I... 
Well, I've been trained to act as rest warden to human beings, after all, not to monstrosities. He produced an uncertain smile, glancing from one to the other of his interrogators. The smile promptly faded out again. You've no idea at all, then, about the place they came from? Coombs asked expressionlessly. Oh, yes, Ken Martin said hastily. El Talk talked a great deal about the lots, and actually, except for its location, gave me a pretty good picture of what the planet must be like. For one thing, it's an uncolonized world, of course. It must be terratype, or very nearly so, because El Talk lived there for fifteen years with apparently only a minimum of equipment. The lots are confined to a single large island. He discovered them by accident, and what was he doing there? Well, sir, he came from Piles Frisian. He was a crim. Uh, he'd been engaged in some form of piracy, and when the authorities began looking for him, he decided it would be best to get clean out of the hub. He cracked up his ship on this world and couldn't leave again. When he discovered the lots and realized their peculiar ability, he kept out of their way and observed them. He found out they had a means of communicating with each other and that he could duplicate it. That stopped them from harming him, and eventually, he said, he was using them like hunting dogs. They were accustomed to cooperating with one another because when there was some animal around that was too large for one of them to handle, they would attack in a group. He went on for another minute or two on the subject. The halots, the word meant rock lion in one of the Hyles Frisian dialects, describing a carnivorous animal which had some superficial resemblance to the creatures Eltok had happened on, frequented the seacoast and submerged themselves in sand, rocks, and debris, whipping up out of it to seize some food animal and taking it down with them again to devour it at leisure. Quillen interrupted. You heard what happened to the man it attacked on the fifth level? Yes, sir. Why would the thing have left him half outside the wall as it did? Ken Martin said that it must simply have been moving too fast. It could slip into and out of solid substances without a pause itself, but it needed a little time to restructure an object it was carrying in the same manner. No more time, however, than two or three seconds, depending more on the nature of the object than on its size, according to Eltok. It can restructure anything in that matter? Quillen asked. Ken Martin hesitated. Well, sir, I don't know. I suppose there might be limitations on its ability. Eltok told me the one we were escorting had been the subject of extensive experimentation during the past year, and that the results are very satisfactory. Suppose it carries a living man through a wall. Will a man still be alive when he comes out the other side? Assuming the lot doesn't kill him deliberately. Yes, sir. The process itself wouldn't hurt him. Quillen glanced at Coombs. You know, he said. We might be letting Yako off too cheaply. Coombs raised an eyebrow warningly, and Quillen grinned. Our friend will be learning about Yako soon enough. Why did Eltok tell the creature to attack, Ken Martin? Sir, I don't know, Ken Martin said. He was a man of rather violent habits. My impression, however, was that he was simply attempting to obtain a hostage. How did he get off the island with Halat? A University League explorer was investigating the planet. Eltok contacted them and obtained a guarantee of a full pardon and a large cash settlement in return for what he could tell them about the Halots. They took him and this one specimen along for experimentation. What about the Halots on the Camelot? Eltok said those had been quite recently trapped on the island. Coombs ran his fingers over the cylinder, producing a rapid series of squeaks and whistles. 
That's one thing Yako may not like, he observed. They won't have a monopoly on the thing. Quillen shook his head. Their scientists don't have to work through red tape like the U-League. By the time this news breaks, if the Federation ever intends to break it, Yako will have at least a five-year start on everybody else. That's all an outfit like that needs. He looked at Ken Martin. Any little thing you haven't thought to tell us, friend? He inquired pleasantly. A thin film of sweat showed suddenly on Ken Martin's forehead. No, sir, he said. I've really told you everything I know. I might try him under dope, Coombs said absently. Uh-uh, Quinlan said. I want him wide awake to help me bait the cubicle for the thing. Has Valadin shown any indication of becoming willing to cooperate in hunting it? Coombs gestured with his head. Ask Fluel. I sent him down to try to patch up things with the Commodore. He just showed up again. Quillen glanced around. The Duke was lounging in the doorway. He grinned slightly, said, Valadin's still sore at us, but he'll talk to Quillen. Ken Martin here. Did he tell you his wife's on the star? Brock Ken Martin went utterly white. Coombs looked at him, said softly, No, that must have slipped his mind. Flewell said, Yeah, well, she is. And Ryder says they'll have her picked up inside half an hour. When they bring her in, we really should check on how candid Kinmartin's been about everything. The rest warden said in a voice that shook uncontrollably, Gentlemen, my wife knows absolutely nothing about these matters. I swear it. She— Quillen stood up. Well, I'll see if I can't get Valadin in a better mood. Are you keeping that halat talker, Coombs? Coombs smiled. I am. Morris figures, the Duke's flat voice explained, that if the thing comes into the room and he squeaks at it a few times, he won't get hurt. That's possible, Coombs said unruffled. At any rate, I intend to hang on to it. Well, I wouldn't play around with those buttons too much, Quillen observed. Why not? You might get lucky and tap out some pattern that spells come to chow in the lot's vocabulary. End of part two.